This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The early forecast is that Cleveland will be bright and sunny when we are in the international showcase of the All-Star Game Sunday. Let's hope that continues to be the forecast as we get closer. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. It's a sunny Tuesday with some hellacious weather on its way. Let's enjoy the nice day we appear to have today. How are you all? No complaints. <laughs> a little bit of a delay there, so maybe not so great. <laughs> It's like so four days to the weekend. Grumble, grumble, grumble. I'm grumpy. I'm Let's get grumpy. going. How are Ohio Republicans in the legislature seeking to restrict social media platforms in one way and help them in another? And will the efforts run afoul of the First Amendment right to free speech? Laura, Laura Hancock wrote a pretty interesting story about the legislature going in two directions with some of the same people involved in both. Involving social media, what's at stake? Yeah, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but you you can't always trust the Ohio legislature to be the most sensible. But the idea, uh, the first bill we're going to talk about is Ohio House Bill 441. And the idea is that this would allow Ohio residents to sue social media platforms that delete or bury posts and content. Federal law prohibits users from suing social media companies over content removal, and tech companies say that's necessary for them to operate reasonably. But this, if this passed, that would change. Critics say that the platforms would be penalized for removing harmful content such as pornography, extremist recruitment, medical misinformation, foreign propaganda, bullying, all the things we say we don't want on our social media pages. And courts have actually blocked similar bills in Florida and Texas and they, the critics say, look, it's just going to get blocked here, but there's still this push for it. And, and HB 441 would reclassify social media companies as common carriers under Ohio law, like a utility or an airline. But even airlines have some First Amendment rights. They can kick someone off uh, a plane for wearing a profane T-shirt, for example. But this is all coming from a conservative think tank called the Heartland Institute. So that's that one. You want me to go on to the next one? Yeah. What's the opposite one? Okay. The opposite is House Bill 376. So that takes away uh, the authority to sue over over violations of privacy. And there are a couple people that are sponsoring both of these. Republican Representative Sarah Carruthers of Cincinnati, Gary Click of Sandusky, Thomas Hall of Cincinnati, Phil Plummer, Dayton, and Gene Schmidt of Cincinnati. So this is known as the Ohio Personal Privacy Act, and it actually passed out of a committee on Wednesday. It could be on the floor in the coming days. And it would prevent individuals in Ohio from suing businesses that violate their privacy and says only the Ohio Attorney General can file lawsuits when privacy is breached. There are similar bills in 20 states right now. What, 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 what's interesting about this to me is we, we ran a commenting platform on Cleveland.com for years before we killed it in, it's two years ago now, right before the pandemic. Best, best day of my life. Before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah we no, were it all was, pretty it, happy it, about It was that. a vile, I mean, we did everything we could to make that clean and make it 
you know, community minded, but but man, the trolls were in there and they just said the most awful, racist, yeah. hateful kind of things. We finally gave up, closed it down, and it has been a wonderful thing. Our site is much more welcoming now. But there was a time when we were trying to make it a community forum, and when people did bad things, we kicked them off. And mm-hmm. I wonder if commenting platforms still existed, whether this kind of law would have applied, because we would have said, no way, we're, we're a private company. We decide what goes on our, our site. We, we own it. We operate it. We're trying to maintain community standards. Who are you to tell us how to run our site? It seems like a serious overreach when the government is telling a private company mm-hmm. what they have to do with their private platform, what's their, what's their rationale? Well, I mean, they're, they're using this as a First Amendment argument. But the interesting part about wait, wait, it wait, is- Wait, 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 wait. The First Amendment is about the government not true. being able to stop free speech. It does not apply to what private companies do. Right, but that's what they're, they're arguing and that these people have a right to say what they want to, that it's just a platform. And the thing is that, think about Twitter, you know, removing Donald Trump forever. Like, they want him to be able to say hateful things on Twitter if if this bill passed. No, he can say hateful things on his own platforms, but Twitter has decided we don't want to be a place where there is hate like that, so he's not welcome. I, I don't see any chance that this law could stand in relation to the First Amendment. It just seems like a ridiculous overreach by people who want to promote hate speech. Exactly. And the companies say, you know, this isn't like somebody standing at a mall with a sign saying something. Like, obviously, you can tell the difference between that person's point of view and the mall's point of view. This, you would, you would, it it affects the entire platform. Because if you're seeing a bunch of hate speech somewhere, you're not going to go to that platform. And it expect, you know, it, it hurts their bottom line if they have to, show content that turns people off. I mean, that's the business argument. Yeah, this is an anti-big tech thing. The, but the on the other side, stopping people from suing when their private data is released by a company, I, I don't get that either. If you damage me by releasing my private information and putting me through a torment that, when, if you've ever talked to somebody who's had their their identity stolen, I should have recourse. That's the way the American civil system works. You sue the people who harm you. A jury decides what the value of the harm is, and you get the damages. Who is the Ohio legislature to say, I should not be able to get that recourse? Right, and that the attorney general is going to sue on my behalf. Like It it makes no sense. One of these bills is super pro-business, one super anti tech companies specifically and i don't think either one of them has a need in this at all like i don't understand why we're wasting our time on this and the ohio chamber of commerce has gotten behind this bill that'll stick it to ohioans by depriving them of being able to get recourse for their damage you know the ohio chamber of commerce has really gone down a very dark path i mean they it's almost become like an arm of the fringe right in America. And, and I just don't get it. I mean, they're the ones that are getting seriously behind Sharon Kennedy as chief justice when she's standing well, and they behind say, gerrymandering. Right, exactly. They're saying, well, we're not taking a position on gerrymandering. And by not taking a position on gerrymandering, it's pretty clear you're pro-gerrymandering. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, the, it's disturbing what this legislature is up to. And that's what gerrymandering is about. We have a ridiculous proportion that doesn't match the state and and silly laws that do damage like this come about you're listening to today in ohio
Does Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish have the stomach to go toe-to-toe with the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Cleveland, which oppose putting a jail near the big club in Slavic Village? Layla, is Armin Budish really going to go toe-to-toe with these guys? This is an interesting development in, in the county's saga on where to put this new jail we've been talking about forever. Uh, you know, Budish had told Caitlin Durbin that one of five finalists among the potential locations for the jail complex is the Cuyahoga Valley Industrial Center property just west of the North Broadway and Slavic Village neighborhoods. North Broadway is is home to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Northeast Ohio's Broadway Club. It's the busiest of the agency's 40 clubs. 180 kids go there each day for after school programming and, you know, all the wonderful things that the Boys and Girls Clubs offer. And the, the Boys and Girls Clubs and many others in those neighborhoods are vehemently opposed to stationing a jail there. And they held a news conference yesterday to say that. Their opposition is, is really threefold. Number one, safety of their kids so close to a facility where criminals will be coming and going. Second, this is a community that was really considered the epicenter of the foreclosure crisis in 2007. And, and they've been fighting their way back ever since from the crime and poverty and blight that that caused. Having a jail in the neighborhood would pretty much all but doom the neighborhood's chances of meaningful investment. And and then also, it would send the message to kids living in the inner city that the only new construction in their community is a massive symbol of incarceration and hopelessness. And so the Boys and Girls Clubs called on, on, on the county to consider other locations in commercial and industrial districts that would have less of an impact on nearby residents. And they're not alone. I mean, City Councilwoman Rebecca Moore has objected to using the property for the jail. So did her predecessor, Tony Brancatelli. He said Budish told him that the site would either house the jail or be turned into a container storage yard to free up space elsewhere for the jail. But that, too, is a completely uninspired use of the space that does nothing to lift up the, up the community. So it, it's, it's interesting because the Boys and Girls Clubs are very measured in, in when and what they say when they come out in support of a, or against certain uh, you know, initiatives. And so for them to, to come out so openly against this is a huge statement. And I think Buddhist would be wise to listen to this. Well, there's so many problems with what they're doing on the jail. They're racing to get this thing done without knowing what size they need. I just don't understand why they're doing all that they're doing. They've been, you know, we've talked in detail about their secrecy as they selected sites and didn't even work with the site selection committee on it. And, And this is the product of that. When you don't do things in in a organized legitimate fashion working with all the different people that are involved you end up with bad decisions and this is clearly a bad decision you shouldn't put a jail out there we learned when they built the juvenile detention center out in a cleveland neighborhood how bad that is for the psychology of the neighborhood it is this towering building for that neighborhood that is a monument to the failure of children. And so every kid growing up there sees that building and knows what takes place. What, it just what makes community no does Armin Budish live in? Where does he live? He's in, in Beechwood. Beechwood. Yeah, that's what so they should, why doesn't, why, why is Beechwood not on the table? You know, I, I just want to know what's the answer to that question. I mean, yeah. this, this, well, let's we, be honest. I mean, because you decide that some neighborhoods are expendable, that some neighborhoods you can just plunk a jail down and and that's okay, And that's that is so unacceptable. And we don't even know what size of jail we need. That's the the bizarre thing. We're going to do some work because 
They have a population now that is not accurate for the future. It's backed up with dangerous felons waiting trials that were delayed by COVID. We have a new diversion center that we don't have enough experience yet to, to know what it'll reduce the jail by. And yet they're hell bent on citing this somewhere. And, you know, first it was going to go to East Cleveland. Now it's Slavic right. Village. It's like, right. Yeah, exactly. the East Cleveland, why, exactly why for you... the same reason that is outrageous. And, it, and he's in an all-fired rush. I don't get the rush because that there's money to be saved if you do this correctly. You probably don't need the size of jail that they're talking about now, and yet they're racing along. And the good news is, is there's some members of county council that are that are very alert to this now. They're they're saying, "Whoa, what is Armin Budish doing?" It's and there's a belief that he's trying to do something to save his wrecked legacy because he's been incompetent these eight years. So he's trying to get some monument to himself built before he goes. But this is just this is just a bad idea. I mean, when when the boys and girls clubs are coming out against you, it's not exactly. good optics. Exactly. Okay, you are listening to Today in Ohio. What happens if the Republicans on the Ohio Redistricting Commission defy the Ohio Supreme Court and throw the state into a constitutional crisis? Laura, I would have thought this was unthinkable when this all began. You would would have thought people would follow the constitutional amendment that voters approved. But Mike DeWine and his colleagues are refusing to do what the voters put in. So what could happen here? Yeah, look at you being super optimistic and believing in the the goodwill and the <laughs> the good good thinking of all of our Republican uh, leaders in Ohio. But yeah, they have until Thursday to approve new maps under the Supreme Court order. The second time the Supreme Court has smacked them down and the third chance they have to get this right. But bipartisan compromise, which the Supreme Court has made very clear, is not just the goal, but the expectation seems incredibly unlikely at this point. Majority Republicans have not yet agreed to hold a meeting, much less share a map proposal with the Democrats. There's two Democrats on the seven-member commission. And the Democrats are referring to quote-unquote tools that the Ohio Supreme Court may have at their disposal to force the commission to comply. And that's just for the state legislative lines. I mean, they're still, they've also got to do this to a congressional map too. So this is, this is unprecedented in Ohio history, and it's a little bit scary. Nobody wanted to talk on the record to Andrew Tobias, who, who wrote this story and used his very deep knowledge of redistricting that he's been working on for God, more probably more than a year now at this point. But at this point, the court could hold people in contempt. They could jail them. They could fine them. I don't, I don't know that that will happen. But I mean, something's got to happen because this seems like chaos. Well, I, I, yeah, I, it is chaos. And I think what they're doing is taking advantage of the Ohio apathy that because people aren't screaming about what they're doing. They're taking that as a tacit approval. And, you know, I've I've had some conservative people I know make the argument that this is just about partisan politics. And and if Maureen O'Connor, the chief justice, went the other way, we wouldn't even be talking about this, which just isn't true. The voters went to the polls, 70 percent of them, and said, we want districts that match up to voting. That's it. It's I mean, that's what they want. And and the Republicans in Ohio in campaigning for that promised that's what would happen. And they've done everything possible since to not do it. They want to mm-hmm. cheat. 
They want to skew it to keep in disproportionate power. And because they keep doing it, people are falling into acceptance. I just it's unbelievable that we would just accept a complete violation of the constitutional mandate. I, I completely agree with you. And the one thing they're saying that's right is if it were not if it weren't for a Maureen O'Connor, we would we wouldn't be having this conversation because the maps would have been set in stone and that's it. They would have been there for four years completely gerrymandered. So we have one person who sided with the Democrats on the Supreme Court that said, No, you have to do this right. You have to do it the way the voters intended you to do it. And they can't they can't draw the maps themselves, but I guess the plaintiffs in this case, which is the Ohio League of Women Voters and a couple other groups, they can request that the court like make specific orders of the redistricting commission, but the, that has to come from the plaintiffs. And instead, you know, Republicans are still saying they're not going to play ball here and that they're actually lobbying. We talked the other day about them lobbying these insults at the Democrats and the Supreme Court, basically saying they could draw a map out of watercolors and the Supreme Court would approve it, saying like, you know, they're using the same gerrymandered terms to say that's what the Democrats are doing. I, but what strikes me is that the law doesn't matter, uh, that, mm-hmm. that, that the, we're in a position of lawlessness now. We just won't do what the law requires, and the voters don't care because they don't want to think about it, and we'll do whatever we want. And that's a scary point to be in in government. Right, and there's a possibility. I mean, this no, not saying this would happen, but the Republican leaders could try to make a, an argument in a federal lawsuit and and go over the Supreme Court, the Ohio Supreme Court, even yeah, though this I don't, is... I don't see that, though. There's not really a federal procedure here. I mean, no. That, that, that would be a hard thing to pull off because this is the state, the state's rights. Right. This well, is a... that doesn't mean they won't try to pull it off. Look at what's happened so far. It's not like everything's happened for the good of the order. And now there's still the primary up in up in uh, the air, what if they're going to have one primary or two, or if they're going to push it back, what the lines are. I mean, it's like they've created so much confusion, it's hard for people to understand the implications. My secret dream remains holding the four in contempt, the five in contempt, putting them in a jail cell, and say, until you come up with maps that meet the standards that the voters put into law, you're, you're in jail. That would be great. I can just see that photo op right now, you know, I, with their hands around the bars. Well, put and put them in orange jumpsuits to boot to really make it clear that you're violating the law. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is the Case Western Reserve University Roth Institute and who is paying for it? This is a story from a week ago that I kept forgetting to put on the list. It seems like there's a, a movement to really kind of look to the future and change yeah, things. Yeah, this is a really, really good news story. Case Western is founding the Roth Institute to help prepare students to address the increasingly complex challenges facing the globe. The Institute is going to be supported by more than $20 million in gift money given by Joel Roth, who is a 1958 civil engineering graduate of Case. He went on to purchase several companies, including Fulton Supply, an industrial supply distributor based out of Georgia. He also wrote the 20% Solution, a guide for businesses to analyze their operations to identify savings. So the Roth Institute will support up to eight undergraduates a year with scholarships and special programming and interactions with leaders. 
and you know uh, they'll they'll be known as Roth scholars. The first of these groups will arrive on campus in the fall, and the institute's founding director will be Andrea Hauser. She currently works with Case's Flora Stone Mather Center for Women, and worked at the Marvin Center for Student Leadership at Bowling Green State University. So you know I might be wrong, but it does sound as if the institute is is um, not only open to engineering students. It sounds like it crosses disciplines. So an excellent opportunity for incoming students and you know like you said could be the the beginning of a movement to kind of feed this pipeline of uh future leaders okay it's an interesting donation to make it's very different than what you normally see with the endowments you're listening to today in ohio all right laura i mentioned at the top of the podcast it's the nba all-star game weekend in cleveland this is a huge pop culture event probably more a pop culture event than a sports event who are some of the celebrities we can expect to see in cleveland this weekend for the game and will it match up with the celebrities we saw at the super bowl or exceed it well i'm not sure we are going to have some crossover from the super bowl but again i can't believe i'm getting this question because i am really not cool and i could not point out a lot of these people (laughs) but troy smith who is our super cool cool pop culture and rock writer is going to be on it all weekend. So we'll have stories Saturday, Sunday, and Monday about everybody who was in Cleveland. So you'll be able to catch up and I will be able to learn about, you know, about being way cooler. But 50 Cent is coming. He is headlining on Saturday at the Windows on the River in the Flats. You can get tickets starting at $100 all the way up to $20,000 for a VIP. And that's going to include celebrity DJs, live entertainment, food trucks, and surprise performances. Of course, he was a surprise performance at the Super Bowl. Um, Lil Wayne is going to headline at District Hybrid Lounge on St. Clair Avenue on Friday night. Shaquille O'Neal is going to be on town for his 50th birthday bash at the Odeon. Rapper Jeezy has a celebrity party set for Friday. Uh, There's a rapper named Offset. There's hip-hop legend Fabulous. And um, the cast of Stars hit TV show, show Power will host a party at Shooters on the Water on Saturday. That might be the biggest star power Shooters has seen since the 90s. But um, yeah, so <laughs> there are going to be a whole lot of really cool people in town for the weekend. And of course, obviously, all the basketball stars and LeBron's coming back. And so this is going to be, it's going to be hopping in Cleveland. I w- on the I'll admit, I was yeah. waiting to see if you'd say 50 cent. <laughs> I did not say 50 I know, you cent didn't. or I'm like proud 50 of you, Laura. pennies you cool. or like a half dollar. <laughs> no, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even going to touch it. So like I said at the beginning, the weather's supposed to be good, so hopefully we will showcase it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We had a couple, cut a couple of stories because we're having some major technical issues with Lisa's connection. We're going to try and get that fixed so that she can participate more robustly tomorrow. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>